0: Welcome back, ladies, to the Fem Future Podcast. I'm your host, April Summerford. Today, I have Nicole Chardom, the Period Fixer, with us. And I can't wait. We're gonna go into so many different topics that will help you hopefully come away with tactical, practical tips that you can use while tracking your cycle and learning more about all the amazing things that your cycle has to offer you. I guarantee you'll walk away with something that you didn't expect. Nicole is an expert in this area. She has written several amazing books of which I will go into further detail, but if you have not picked up her copy of Fix Your Period, you must. So thank you so much, Nicole, for being on our podcast today. April, thank you so much for having me.
1: First of all, I love the name of your podcast and I so appreciate the introduction. I feel like it's always so nice to get on these podcasts because everyone has such nice things to say about you. I'm like, I should just listen to this kind of stuff and boost my ego a little bit every day. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love it. It's like I'm just going to listen to all the intros that have ever been said to me on podcasts and then my esteem yes. will be right in right balance. Yes. I will feel so good about myself. Yes. Thank you. I know. <laughs> well, it's true. So, you deserve every word of it. So, let's talk a little bit today and you know, I I want to be honest when when I scheduled the talk, I thought, "Oh my goodness, there's so many topics that we could explore and delve into and it would be so interesting and fun." But I thought, you know, I haven't really covered yet some of the basics on periods and what it says about your health as a woman. I haven't covered that yet. And I thought you would be the perfect guest to help us kind of kick off that general conversation. And then we can always have more in-depth conversations later about specific aspects of this. But overall, my podcast is all about the emerging future of FemTech and women's health and all the things that we're going to have at our disposal or already have at our disposal as women. But if we don't even understand the value of your period and of your cycle, then all of those tools and trackers aren't really going to be of much use. So I'm hoping that you can kind of help us set the foundation for some of these things that maybe we were never taught in health class or maybe we just didn't know we possessed as the wonderful powers of being a woman. So before we go into all of that, I would love you to give a brief intro, because I personally am curious, I'm gonna be honest, I wrote this question, because I'm curious, how did you become the period fixer? You know, what's your backstory? I love a good origin story.
1: I feel like I was not a likely period fixer. <laughs> I will start with that because as a teenager, I mean, I didn't even study biology in high school, or at least I maybe I did one year of it, I can't remember, but I was not interested in any of this stuff. I wanted from a young age to be in film production. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was very into the arts and all of this female nonsense that I had to deal with as a teenager was just like not something I wanted to have even any thoughts about. Unfortunately, my body had other plans. I had pretty severe periods. I had really heavy bleeding that totally disrupted my life every single month. And I remember not going to school because of it. I was really nervous that I would leak through my clothes. And as you know, when you're a teenager, that is basically the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Mm -hmm. And I also remember the excruciating period pain being something that would keep me home from school or missing things in life. And I also started to develop really irregular cycles. So all of these things combined, perfect trifecta, to make any teenage life miserable was, you know, something that I lived with for years. And my mom had really terrible periods when she was a teenager as well. So the message to me was, well, you know, this is kind of how it is. And you kind of just have to suck it up and deal. Mm. And it wasn't until I was about 18, 19, I finally saw a gynecologist. And I was, you know, lamenting about all these problems. And she suggested I just go on the pill because that would be the solution to all of my period woes. And so I did, I actually was very excited to do it because I had other friends on the pill too and it was the cool thing to do and I felt very left out that I was not on it. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, her promises came true. I now had a regular cycle and I didn't have any more pain and it was a light period and I felt more stable in terms of my mood. So everything really shifted and it was great until it wasn't. And that was really the catalyst for the work that I do today. And so I started to experience all of these, what felt like unrelated symptoms. And I saw so many different doctors, you know, I had these chronic yeast infections and urinary tract infections, and my hair was falling out and I had developed melasma all over my face. And I remember a doctor telling me that, well, you know, melasma, it could be worse, you know, it could be cystic acne or don't worry, you're pretty. Some of us have to pay our dues in some ways, like crazy stuff. Don't oh, know. <laughs> and so I just remember feeling so lost and confused and defeated by my all the symptoms, because it was like, I can't win when I'm off the pill and I can't win when I'm on the pill. And finally, I saw an acupuncturist who said to me he felt like the pill was playing a role in all of these problems that I was having. And lo and behold, there it was. And I, I came off of it with his help. And, you know, I changed my diet, my lifestyle as much as I possibly could while being in college. And that was really it for me. That to me was the impetus for making further changes and then going on to study this, the women's health and coaching and all of it. And
0: here I am today doing this thing. It's amazing. And I have to say that I think it's fascinating that pill fix actually did work for you for a time.
1: Oh girl. Because I
0: know some women it does, some women it doesn't. But it's interesting where, you know, where it does work. It's like it must be nice during those years where you get the relief. But unfortunately you didn't learn. It's like they become lost years or like years you could have been learning about yourself and you really you hadn't learned it until all the other, you know, symptoms popped up.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I will say too, that when I think about the potential long-term damage that happened, because this wasn't just UTIs, it was also serious gut health issues, like incredible joint pain. I remember being, you know, 21, 22. And one morning I was running to to school and I'm like running down the stairs and I can barely get down the stairs because my knees are hurting me so badly. And I'm like, what? what, what, Like, did I wake up as a 75 year old? Yeah. So it was really, I felt chronic sort of debilitating problems and how it took me years to feel like I had felt prior to being on it. So
0: yeah, it's a real problem. Yeah. And still still continuing. I'm glad that the work you're doing is you know, raising awareness on that. And then I hear, I haven't got to see it yet, that you got a a little small cameo in uh, the business of birth control, which is going to be exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Very exciting. So stuff like that makes me excited about the awareness on the pill itself, which we won't delve too much into because I really want to stay focused today on specifically the cycle as it sits, not with other treatments and things like that, right? At this stage, at this stage of the conversation. Yes. (laughs) totally get it. With that said, can you break us into the four phases of the cycle and kind of how to better understand what they are, What's maybe a little bit of what's normal and what's not normal a little bit? I know that can get complex, so not too much in there, but just a little overview. And maybe something women don't know about it, because there's a lot of things I've learned over the years about the cycle that I find fascinating. I'm sure you've learned a ton.
1: Certainly. Yes, I know. There's so much we don't know. I continue to learn things too, and I'm always just blown away when I discover some sort of... A piece of research that is not something I've ever seen before. And I'm like, yes, this is so cool that this actually exists and it's been studied. So, yeah, you know, when it comes to these phases of the cycle, they're obviously driven by hormonal fluctuations. And that's the coolest thing that I learned about myself way back in the day that these hormones change. And as a result, I change on a physical and emotional level. And that is game changing because you think these things are just all happening randomly to you, but they're actually not. It's a perfectly orchestrated system. And so when we're talking about these phases, we've got the menstruation phase, we've got that the non-bleeding follicular part of the phase. So it's basically the follicular and you're either menstruating during that time or you're not. So menstruation, non-bleeding follicular, ovulation, and the luteal phase. And essentially what's happening in menstruation is obviously you're bleeding. Typically, I really like to see a period somewhere between three and seven days. And that to me indicates that estrogen has built up enough. It's built your uterine lining and then progesterone has exerted its effects on the estrogen primed uterine lining. You've ovulated. So it means that you know if you had like a sufficient build up of the hormones that are supposed to build up in the first half of your cycle and then throughout the second half before you get your period to indicate that you've, you know, this is all has happened. And you know, a three to seven day period, I think, is is indicative of that typically. If it's less than three days. Oftentimes that means that maybe you have not ovulated or, you know, your lining isn't building to where it's supposed to so that it can then shed and and you can have a long enough period. Although in many cases, people, if they have a two-day period and they always have and they're feeling great, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. What I find is most problematic is periods that are longer than seven days. And that is mostly problematic because your lining is building too much. And why is it doing that? So what's happening with your hormonal fluctuations that's causing that? Or is there another condition at play like uterine fibroids or adenomyosis or endometriosis? Or maybe there is low thyroid functioning uh, happening as well because that's also a player because all the hormones work together. And so we have to really dig deeper. And I think that that's one of the core tenets of my work. And I know you feel the same way too, that we have to look at your period as a barometer of your overall health. And it's not just like, oh, I have eight-day periods. Like, what's wrong? You know, what's going on here? And like, what do I do? Just go on the pill. So yeah, so that's something to think about. And then I when we're moving through that menstruation phase, this is a time in your cycle when that estrogen-progesterone duo is pretty much lowest than they'll ever be. And, uh, you know, your cervix is also in a position too. Like, it's kind of lower. It's a little bit firm to the touch. So that's typically what's going on in the menstruation phase it is a more inflammatory time in your cycle because, like I said, estrogen, progesterone, progesterone particularly is this sort of anti-inflammatory hormone. And when it drops significantly right before you bleed, it triggers the production of prostaglandins or pro-inflammatory prostaglandins that will help your uterine muscles contract. And so there's it's a whole incredibly well-orchestrated process but you will find you feel a little bit more inflamed. You might feel pain when you get your period. You might feel joints kind of hurting a little bit, or you just don't feel that great. A lot of people experience what's known as the period flu. So that you know, these are symptoms that show up. Anyway, so we move out of that menstruation phase. We move into the follicular phase. And this is the time in your cycle where estrogen is starting to build or will start to build based on the fact that you're gunning for ovulation. And so all of this hormonal interplay is driven by ovulation or the result of ovulation. And so what's happening is there is a hormone called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, so GNRH, that's released by your hypothalamus. It tells your pituitary gland to release follicle stimulating hormone or FSH. And so FSH is basically just telling your ovaries to get those follicles ready. It actually starts right before your period, but just for the timeline's sake, mm-hmm. that's essentially what's going on. And what's amazing is that your ovarian follicles are going to start doing their thing and you know just getting ready for one of those follicles to make it to ovulation or that ovulatory time so they can be released. And so in this time of your cycle, you're going to notice a bit of a shift in your energy, your mood your mood, as well as your your cognitive function right as estrogen is rising and testosterone is rising you're gonna feel a little bit different a little bit more extroverted and that definitely increases as ovulation occurs which is such a nice feeling mm-hmm. It's like great when you have that shift and and then what you're also going to feel is you know a little bit of a shift in your physical energy as well. so your sex drive starts to increase as you approach ovulation. You're going to feel more extroverted. You're going to feel like you want to take on more in your life or you can exercise and at more strenuously and, and have the capacity for that. So things really start to shift there as these hormones are all rising. And then as you approach ovulation, estrogen peaks, testosterone peaks, which is a really nice time for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, your energy is also going to peak typically as well. And once you once you get to ovulation, what's so amazing is that your body has obviously been preparing for this for quite a few weeks now. And that, that rise in all of these hormones triggers the release of the egg out of the follicle. And so this is a really short process. That's what is so incredible about it. Mm-hmm. Like when you think about the fact that we, first of all, our bodies, they build this follicle, the egg is released. And then that follicle now turns into this minor minute endocrine gland like a temporary endocrine gland and it's releasing all of this progesterone a little bit of estrogen too but a lot of progesterone and that is really what moves us into out of the the ovulatory phase and into that luteal phase and so from there you know we've got now progesterone completely taking over and we have uh, estrogen dipping after ovulation has occurred and so now we're at this place where progesterone changes us again. And so now we have to adjust a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so we become less extroverted, a little bit more introverted. And we kind of like get into that phase of wanting to take care of ourselves a little bit more, take care of the homestead and, and not be out so much in the world. And again, like progesterone, we'll talk about this too. Just it's incredible effects on our body. This is not just the progestation hormone. It does a whole lot of other things as well, which I'll totally get into. But it is really amazing like how much everything shifts because we not only is it our physical and emotional, but like from a cervical fluid perspective, you know, it's now gone from all of that very fertile, wet quality cervical fluid that we would experience due to the estrogen and testosterone being high to dried up and sticky and tacky because progesterone is basically telling your body, okay, we're done here. We're no longer trying to procreate and we're moving on to the next stage. Mm-hmm. So that's really what happens. And then estrogen bumps up a little bit towards the end of the cycle. Progesterone is high and then it all comes crashing down and we start over all over again.
0: What I've noticed is that the world is very male in the sense that like everything reoccurs the same every day or like corporate America, for example, tends to be very male in its, its function. And when I say that, I mean, like, if you look at men's hormones, like their hormones are a daily cycle. So the day is their rhythm. And we have a day part of our cycle, but in our circadian rhythm, but overall, we're on a month cycle. So I feel, you know, really out, you know, extroverted and I want to go hang out with my friends and I want my husband to take me on a date, you know, right before ovulation and like all that I've noticed because I've tracked for a while now, that's like naturally happening for me and my moods. And then I'm naturally like spending more money on my home or on a warm blanket or something like that during progesterone, (laughs) the luteal phase. And I definitely want to journal and I don't really want to talk to as many people. Totally. And at first I used to think, and I I just wanted to highlight this, I used to think that I was, there was something wrong with me. And I kind of wonder how many women listening to this are going to have an aha moment. So that's kind of why I wanted to string this together is like sometimes you're calling your behavior or your mood, you're saying there's something wrong with you during luteal because now you feel introverted and recluse. And sometimes that's just a normal part of the cycle. Of course, there's extremes and you know, there's areas where you need to get help and that type of thing. But I have found that actually this normal cycle and how it relates to my behavior is like, I know what normal is for me now. And so it helps me understand, oh, well, I'm just during this phase of my cycle.
1: I so appreciate you saying that. And I completely agree is that the, the inclination is to look outside of ourselves for what is normal. Versus just to check in and see what feels good for us, and I 100% can relate to this feeling like I'm not doing enough. I should be more productive, especially just during this time of my cycle. But now, really reflecting on it and thinking about how I treat these phases, is our bodies are literally demanding <laughs> that we take a rest during this time of the cycle, and and it really is life transforming when we do that because we are then able to maximize or get so much more out of those busier times in our cycle when we do have a lot more energy for these outward facing events in our lives versus when we are trying to push through and function optimally at you know 2 days before our period and we've got like 10 back to back meetings right you know so there's ways i think that we can certainly control a lot of of what's happening in our life. And we'll talk about this too, like how much that shows up as emotional problems, right? Like major mood issues and all these PMS symptoms that are so dreaded and like, Why is that happening
0: to us? Maybe it's because we're not living in congruence with what our biology wants us to do. And we're trying to be on the hamster wheel every day doing the same thing we did yesterday, or at least I speak for myself that yes. I was trying to do that. And then after every like two years <laughs> yeah, of trying to live like that, I ended up with severe symptoms that I, I just have always curious, you know, in the past, I'm like, hmm, would I have been that bad? if I had listened to myself earlier and learned about my cycle earlier in life. I don't know. I think it would have been a lot better <laughs> if I had. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that little piece of it. And I would love to like have you talk a little bit about the myth that women don't need to ovulate and that our period isn't necessary. So why are these important health metrics and why are they vital to our longevity as women? Okay. I
1: just love this question so much because I feel like I have now such an incredible body of research to back up what I'm saying about this. And, uh, you know, when I when I have this conversation with people who don't believe <laughs> that we need to ovulate consistently, I feel like I, I've got a platform now. And, you know, there's an incredible study called ovulation, a sign of health. And they basically say that normal ovulatory activity during reproductive years can be considered a sign of health because it implies adequate endocrine and gonadal function. And I'm like, Mm. that's all, My drop, that's all we need (laughs) to know at this point. And so it's really clear based on the science that we need to be ovulating and ovulating consistently. And so what I, what's interesting is, you know, when I talk about needing a period, women are like, but yeah, I get my period and I'm on the pill, so I'm all good. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's not quite the full story. And so I think that what we really need to be thinking about is, first of all, why are we so readily turning off this really fundamental biological process in the female body? What's happening here? and you know, and what you know what are the implications of that? And so when you think about the fact that ovulation really is this vital bodily function, and pretty much everyone needs to experience this regularly, whether they want to have a pregnancy or not, that's really what you know we need to be looking at in terms of it's the driver, it being the driver of the production of estradiol. This is our body's most potent form of estrogen, progesterone, as well as other hormones as well. They're all in there are a lot of hormones involved in this in this process. And so, We think of these hormones as being just part of fertility and the cycle. Like, that's the message we've been given for so long. But when you really dig into it and you look at what exactly estrogen and progesterone do in the body, you'd be like, oh my God, I'd never want to turn off ovulation again. Mm -hmm. Because estrogen and progesterone are your brain's friends. They are so critical to brain health and cognitive function. And this is partially why synthetic hormones or you know hormonal contraceptives are tied to major mood disorders and why we see this over and over again I certainly was super depressed after a few years of being on the pill which might have been because I was having all these health problems but I hear this over and over they're also a part of sleep regulation this is oftentimes why women in menopause or in low estrogen states like if you've come off the pill or you are you know you're in a state of amenorrhea or something like that You don't sleep very well. You have night sweats. You feel like you wake up in the middle of the night. Progesterone also supports quality sleep. The same goes for things like bone density. When we're in a low estrogen progesterone state, like menopause or amenorrhea after being on the pill or premature ovarian failure, we're at serious risk for bone-related problems. And that's because estrogen plays a role in bone building. And so then there's other things too. And I think that What When we're younger, especially when we're on something like the pill or another form of hormonal birth control that stops ovulation or interferes with it, we just don't even think about things like heart health and heart disease and the fact that that's tied to low estrogen states or our breast health and our uterine health and how progesterone can be protecting of those parts of our body from cancer and our vaginal health. I mean, when you think about the fact that estrogen supports the vaginal microbiome and its diversity as well as vaginal tissue health and lubrication, all of this is so critical. And, and we think then, oh, wow, you know, like the number one cause of doctor's visits or OBGYN visits are is bacterial vaginosis. Like, of course, we don't have healthy defense against pathogens and infections because we haven't been ovulating consistently, so many of us. And then there's like, other nice things like your skin and hair. And your estrogen plays a really critical role in our skin thickness and our firmness and elasticity and our follicle hair health. And progesterone is also a controller of melanin production, which is why some of us might develop melasma on our faces. It's probably why I did. Because you're not making your own progesterone. And so your estrogen is sort of just left unchecked in the body. So it's more supportive of pigmentation, whereas progesterone reduces that. So this is just sort of a snapshot of why ovulation is so critical to our overall health throughout the menstrual life cycle. So this is like puberty all the way
0: through perimenopause. I feel like it's once I start digging into the literature, it's so understated how important it is. It's actually like ridiculously important from what I've been reading. Yeah. And even like we have we haven't even scratched the surface on some of the mental and brain like you mentioned the brain the brain is such an integral part of this process. And the way those hormones come back to the brain and make the brain function well is actually another interesting component as to why maybe women live. Some of these things are like maybe why women live longer than men, which is interesting. So why would we want to turn off these systems if they're like protective and they give women longevity? Longevity is this huge topic, but most of the research again is on men. And so I'm digging into women's longevity and I want to know more about what makes us live to be. 120. Cause that's like the new figure that everyone's throwing around is, you know, living to 120. I'm like, but I don't want to live to 120 if I'm not healthy and I don't feel good. And you know, I want to be vibrant. I want to be like my great aunt. She's my inspiration. She still goes to yoga retreats and She's in her 80s. You know, she's just, she looks like a fox. And it's like, yeah, okay. You know, that's impressive. If I'm going to live to be like that or older and look as awesome as she does and have as much functionality, then I better figure out how to keep my ovulation working as long as possible <laughs> to keep my hormones balanced. Right. So thank you so much for sharing those pieces and just all this amazing research that's coming out about how important this is. I just really want to dig and dispel the myth that when your doctor says that having ovulation isn't important, that is incorrect. That's just, plain incorrect exactly so. right i know the one statement that's so true yeah that alone is not correct now why is having a period necessary obviously with the uh, we can't go too far into this because it's a longer conversation but with that, the advent of the pill it became like well you don't really need a period so could you explain real quickly you know why is the period necessary when we were told it's not.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's the thing, right? Like I was saying with some women will say to me, oh, well, you know, I'm on on birth control, but I get my period every month. And what I want to point out to everyone is that, yes, you may be having a bleed. This is sort of an anovulatory bleed or a pill bleed, as they may call it. And so essentially what's happening is you're not ovulating because that's the mechanism by which hormonal contraceptives work. Mm. And I can't tell you, actually, I've had a few people say to me, that's not true. I'm ovulating on the pill. I'm like, no, (laughs) you're actually not. And this is a really, right? It's so unfortunate because this just goes to show it's really we are not educated at all by our doctors in many cases about what exactly it is that we're taking every day and what the hell it's doing in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And this is massively problematic for so many reasons because we're essentially just taking our bodies to the doctor, like we might take the car to the mechanic, and we have no idea what's going on. And we're just like, just please fix this thing for me. I have so been there. I totally get it. I really relate to the frustration of not knowing what's going on, which is why Both April and I are such advocates for really understanding your bodies. But if you're not having a period, you want to figure out why that is, right? If you point back to the study I just quoted a while back, it's that when you have these ovulatory cycles, period included, that is a sign of health. And so when you're not, what's happening? And so I feel like your period can just tell you so much, whether you have a period or you don't have a period or it's very irregular or it's super painful or it's heavy or it's very light. Or you're spotting a lot before your period. All of those are like to me amazing data, and for you to try and figure out what's happening, it's just the problem is is that we have never learned to read this information or understand it. Right? It's like Mm -hmm. you're speaking English, your body's speaking I don't know Latin, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you cannot, you don't have any idea. And so I think that that's really the miscommunication that's happening, and that's really the crux of the issue, and that's what we need to change. But your period is a reflection of your overall health. And when we are in a state of period problems, whatever those might be, all of those things indicate to us that something is awry hormonally or you know even deeper than that. Because I don't think hormones are necessarily the problem. I just think that they're those little messengers and they're telling you what's going on. And it's really, you know, it's usually something else driving the hormone imbalance that is then driving the period problems. So yeah you know, this could be a whole period episode <laughs> on
0: like why you need a period. And, and maybe we should do that at some point and just break that down, you know, more in in depth because there is like so many, even like mit- micro net metrics I've found that are important about the period itself. And I've started to learn about myself over the years. You know, like you said, it can be very inflammatory, but it's also accumulation of all the things I've been doing that month. Yes. So even if I did all the right things the week before my period, if I'm having a really bad period, I know that somewhere in that month, Something set me off, you know. I I was too stressed. I wasn't getting enough sleep. Maybe I was eating more inflammatory foods. Like I end up going into stealth mode and like figuring out, okay, what didn't go right that this period is giving me a bad report, so to speak. Because I now think my body gives me reports every month and tells me how I'm doing, and so I take note and and I try to fix it because I don't like having bad periods. It sucks. So, yeah, so I'd say, you know, your period is also giving you just so much information. So if you don't get that report readout, you're missing out on what the body's telling you. I love that. I
1: completely agree. It actually, you know, what really reminds me of, like, I think the vaccine for not to get controversial, I'm saying this with a point, I swear, but the COVID vaccine has really brought this to light because of the fact that so many people have had these adverse period related reactions and that really demonstrates for i think for us like what you were just saying about what's happened in that month before your period or in the lead up to ovulation and then in the lead up to your period because when you like for instance all these people have gotten the vaccine and then it sort of your body has an immune response to it mm-hmm. and and then how is that reflected in your period and there's of course a whole immune menstrual cycle connection i said that period flu thing earlier it's so true mm-hmm. and so you know, you get this thing, you have this immune response and your body's like, oh, this is not a great time to ovulate or this is not a great time to have like a long luteal phase that could potentially be fertile, like abort, abort kind of thing. Not actual abortion, but like, you know, abort the mission. Right. And so a lot of times, Women have, you know, they'll get a second period or they'll have like super heavy bleeding or they don't get a period at all. And so they might not have ovulated. This is a perfect example, I think, of what the external environment or internal environment can
0: do to our cycles. And it's interesting, the immune-menstrual cycle connection is still not completely well understood. It's actually very under-researched in my opinion. Like when I try to research articles about that, it's like good luck finding the direct connection, which is what I want to talk about. I agree. But I am totally convinced that my immune system and my menstrual cycle and my hormones and my inflammatory markers and all those things that we know play are telling me lots of things during my cycle. And yet it's been taking me years to like track and figure out like little weird micro things but I'm looking forward to them actually funding more research about women's immune systems because our immune system does actually work differently than men's immune systems. Amen. So we shouldn't, again, be based on men's research on the immune system, which is why with this whole pandemic and the rollout of you know the vaccine, my biggest concern has been, again, we're under-researched and did we really go deep on what this does to women? And I'm gonna say probably not because we already didn't have a lot of research to begin with. And then they rushed the vaccine to you know, to mass application. And so I have been a little bit leery about we don't know is the, is the answer. And we should be probably talking a little more humbly about the fact that we already didn't know this interplay very well. And now we're starting to tinker with things that we don't quite understand. And I am a huge fan of finding new ways of doing things. And I love innovative technology. I'm a huge fan, but also in concert with what we do and don't understand and being honest about what we do and don't understand about women's immune system. So anyway, I'll just truly put that little the little caveat on there to what you're saying because it is really fascinating to me and I hope we learn a ton more in the next few decades about that because it's it's so needed for for women's health. Thank you. I know. Thank you for saying
1: that and also for all the research and work that you do because I cannot agree with you more. I think that we are grossly underfunded in so many areas of women's health. And that is why suddenly all these women around the world were like, what is going on here? I mean, I cannot tell you how many people reached out to me. And, you know, it's just like a general sort of collective freak out over this. And it's exactly that because we have neglected to... Look at this deeper and understand.
0: And and the answer is we don't know. You know, I had women reaching out to me as well, and I told them I'm going to tell you, you know, what I know, which isn't a lot. Yeah, but at least I'm being honest with you. (laughs) A lot of people are not being honest right now. (laughs) It's like they're saying they know exactly, and I always get really leery of someone who tells you they know exactly because the body is very complex, and no one knows you as best as you. So I always get a little leery of those types of pieces of advice. So I'll, I'll encourage women to dig deep on their own immune. Menstrual connection and start to explore that because it's definitely opened up a whole world to me that I didn't know existed and that I didn't know was there. Same. So let's talk a little bit about bloating because women in my endo community are always talking about bloating in their cycle and they seem to be, there's like a lot of misinformation about it too that like the bloating is always endo belly or that it always isn't. It's kind of complex. So what amount of bloating is normal? And I'm bringing this question up because I really liked your Instagram post about this, where you tracked your stomach naturally through the cycle. Yes. And I'd love for you just to give us a quick, quick uh, audio synopsis of like what you discovered by watching your body through the cycle.
1: Yeah, man, a lot of people came to, you know, sent me messages about that one. And so for anyone who doesn't know, I did a reel on photos of myself throughout my cycle, wearing my gym clothes, because that seemed like the most appropriate thing. It's like right before I go to the gym in the morning, and uh, your stomach actually changes. And so we've been led to believe, unsurprisingly, that our stomachs should just be flat and, you know, perfectly chiseled every single day of the month. And That ain't gonna happen. (laughs) So just putting it out there, and it was fascinating to see the changes because we know, obviously, like bloating is a thing. We hear about this in that second half of our cycle in the luteal phase, and sometimes it's worse than for us, for some of us than others. But it was really cool to just see the changes, and so I think it's interesting, right? Like the that you talked about the endo belly and whatnot, and that I consider quote unquote bloating to be. A normal part of the hormonal fluctuation that's happening. I mean, progesterone is literally the progestation hormone, right? It's preparing your body to be pregnant. And that's, you know, biologically, evolutionarily, that's what our bodies are trying to do every month. Like, we cannot change that unless we just stop ovulation completely. But with progesterone, it's a hormone that is going to sort of encourage a little bit of water retention and weight gain. And that is what is happening. And there's not a whole lot we can do about that in the second half of our cycle. I mean, if it feels out of control, then yeah, that could be a problem. But generally speaking, your stomach definitely changes. And so progesterone not only encourages a little bit of water weight and that bloating feeling or weight gain. It also is a smooth muscle relaxant, so it's going to slow down your digestive musculature, like that function, and you're going to potentially become more constipated, you might be a little bit more gassy, super fun stuff. But it's definitely what happens. It's, it's certainly a side effect of progesterone. Progesterone, in a good way, though, is also used to... Prevent preterm labor because it it's, it slows down muscle contractions. So it's a great thing, but it cannot feel so great, especially if there are you know there's underlying problems already, right? Like there is SIBO or gut dysbiosis or some kind of gut microbiome related problem. I I feel like that's when it becomes more pronounced. And I think that that's it, right? Like if you can't fit into your clothes anymore in the lead up to your period, then that to me indicates that there's something going on that you have to look into more and start to explore and and get some help around that. But if you're just having a little bit of bloating and like things feel a little bit tighter, that to me is not a problem. And it's again, just being able to work in tandem with your cycle and trusting that this is what's happening. And in a few days when you get your period, things will go back to normal and that's just the cycle of the, the menstrual cycle i suppose you could say <laughs> not the cycle of the cycle
0: and i thank you for sharing that because the, the way, my takeaway is i've been giving myself more permission that there's just that that's what's happening during the luteal phase i'm not freaking out as much about it it's like okay the, these really cute skinny jeans that i really like wearing up till ovulation well maybe they're just my ovulation <laughs> jeans you know what I mean? like maybe <laughs> i just wear them when i feel like and it, it also is how i feel right like maybe i wear them just like in follicular up to ovulation because I feel really hot and I'm also a lot thinner. And there's some things that are just different during that phase of the cycle. And then it's okay that I wear maybe more of my casual jeans during luteal phase because things are a little more bloaty. And I'm just starting to let myself do those things without like any critical judgment. it And it's seeming to help overall, just my whole psychological well-being. Isn't it so freeing? It's really nice. So I just wanted to bring that out. And obviously we could do an entire episode just on endobelly because there is actually more going on with endobelly. Like you said, there's yes. dysbiosis. There's actually like immune reactions. Sometimes I'm convinced with the lesions themselves, all kinds of things going on. But if you're having just natural bloating more during luteal phase, I wanted women to know like that's normal <laughs> and that's okay. And you can just let your body shift and change throughout the cycle and not feel self-conscious or hypercritical of yourself. So
1: I love that April so much, by the way. Like I love that you're just saying, I'm just allowing this to be what it is without judgment of myself because I literally, there was probably like 50 women who commented on this just to say how much they hate that this is a change that happens in their body. And I'm just like, wow, you know, we've just moved so far away from just allowing our bodies to do what they normally do. And we medicate all of this away Mm -hmm. uh, with a pill or, you know, some other form of hormonal contraceptive. And it's really heartbreaking because it's, you know, it has, it really does have detrimental effects on us mentally and emotionally, as you well know, and then later on in life, like when we haven't ovulated
0: for a long period of time. What I hate is I hate unnecessary suffering, right? It seems like there's all a certain amount of suffering that we have to encounter, but I hate the added unnecessary suffering on top of it. Like, I can't stand that. I agree. So, it's like if we can just help bring a few layers of unnecessary suffering off of any woman listening to us today, that I feel mission accomplished and go in peace. <laughs> just go enjoy that. <laughs> uh, because exactly. it's taken us years, you know, collectively to figure these things out. So, just take our collective wisdom and just run with it because it's just not worth the extra hypercritical judgment during the legal phase. It just isn't. And as a side note, progesterone is amazing for calm, too. So, like i really like how calm and collected i feel during luteal phase versus the other phases of the cycle which are fun and exciting but i can also feel a little more anxious sometimes things will push me over a little quicker and in luteal phase i'm just like yeah whatever yeah okay i'll get over it. so there is other positive benefits so yeah a little more bloody but also a little more chill so I, i like that about the mood Well, at this point, Nicole, we've covered so many interesting topics. I really want to close with just a two-part question. Okay. And my first part of the question is, how how do you track your cycle? Do you use an app? Do you like to use any biometrics? What's your favorite way?
1: Okay, this is hilarious because I actually use a couple of different things. I just love this data so much. I know you can relate as a data nerd. And so typically, I use like a regular thermometer and I use multiple... Apps. I have the Kendara app, which I've used for like a decade now, ever since they came out, actually, because I just really love their interface. So yeah, I use a regular thermometer, track my cervical fluid patterns and use Kendara. And then I also have a Daisy. So I chart with their device and their app as well. And I also have an Ava bracelet too. So I've used that and I really like their metrics that they give you or their parameters in their app because they use heart rate variability and length of sleep and quality of sleep and a number of other things that change throughout the cycle. So that's more about fertility. They're not really geared towards preventing pregnancy per se, but their, their information is really useful. So I do a couple of different things.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. And what is your favorite one for women who are just getting started? If they're like, you know, I've never done anything with tracking my cycle, save, you know, counting the days on the calendar. What's the easiest to use, you know, entry level device?
1: Well, in terms of apps, I really like the Clue app. I also use that as well. And I think that that's a really good place to start. There's another one called Read Your Body that I've recently discovered. And I like that as well. So in terms of just tracking your cycle, if you're just doing sort of the basic cycle tracking in terms of like period and a few symptoms,
0: those are really good to start with. Awesome. All right. I'm so glad we were able to cover that. It's one of my favorite topics. I I have several trackers myself and uh, Aura Ring just released the period beta to their ring. And I'm so ecstatic to start using that because I've been using it as a period sort of health metric for a while now. But every time I ovulate, it tells me I'm getting sick. Isn't that so crazy? (laughs) It's crazy. So I can't wait for them to like, say, oh, you're a cycling woman. So you probably ovulated instead of, you know, that you're getting sick. So
1: anyway, instead of you have a temperature and you're getting a cold. Yeah. I'm like, no, I just ordered one actually. So I'm so excited for this. I know it's ridiculous. so I'm so glad you brought this up because I I feel like this is going to be, it's going to open a whole set of doors for everybody who is using that. And it'll really be helpful, I think, for sort of a broader section of the population.
0: It's just so easy to use. And every other trick or thing I've done is more, you know, it's more involved than this. You just wear it on your finger. It's so easy. It's a ring. Right. So anyway, I'm excited to see what kind of data women start collecting. Cause I've been collecting for a few years now. So I want to compare notes with everyone else. So
1: we'll have to compare notes.
0: Maybe another episode. Yeah, once you uh, once you play with it, because it's pretty it's a pretty awesome piece of health tech. I'm kind of in love with it. Amazing. So my final question. Final question Mm -hmm. is, what are you most excited about in the near and not so distant future of women's health? You know, I was really
1: thinking about this. And, you know, there's, I think it really does come back to the technology piece. I have been collecting this data for well over a decade on my own body. And it has been really cool to be able to see the changes as I've gone through my late 20s and 30s and now into my 40s and just seen what's happened and I just feel like when you have this kind of information about yourself, it provides a level of understanding and empowerment that you just would not have otherwise. And I I also think too about the fact that, you know, the tide is really turning when it comes to menstruation. I feel like it's firmly on the map now and Mm -hmm. is definitely moving in a direction that we can all get behind. You know, there's, first of all, there's so many people like us now who are on the ground, educating women and people who menstruate, helping them to get connected to their bodies and improve every aspect of their cycles and their lives, which I'm so thrilled about. And I just think about all the firsts. You know, we've had a documentary, period, end of a sentence. It won an Academy Award. And we're removing tampon taxes in many countries and many states in the US. I mean, we have a period emoji. You know, like we've got a lot of stuff happening. And I think that it's only going to build on itself. But like from the technology side of things, we've got all these birth control apps and we've got the devices, we've got smart pads. We've got so much happening in the femtech world. And it feels like an incredible time to be a woman because there is so much that's happening in relation to our health and improving our health and having better health outcomes. Thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, April. I love everything that you're doing. And I just think that it's incredible. I love this podcast. And I just feel like you're supporting people in such a profound way as well. And Everyone can find me at my website. It's NicoleJardim.com. And you can find my book on there, Fix Your Period, as well as on Instagram. I'm just Nicole M. Jardim. And I also have a podcast too called The Period Party. So there's lots of ways
0: to find me and find all that I share. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Nicole. And until next time, thank you for being on the Femme Future Podcast. your podcast was created and is hosted by April Summerford. Executive podcast producer Mathur DeLeon. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including April Summerford and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.